Hey, this is Tim McGregor, and I'm the pastor of LOH Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. Enjoy the message. You ready to have church today? I'm ready to. Yeah, I, I had to run a couple extra miles yesterday. I, um, I have so many, it's, it, it's really cool. I, 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 was, I, I, went, I found myself, I don't know how I got there, but I found myself standing in the line at Livy's over there. I just, I, I found myself there and I, need, and I needed guidance. I, I don't frequent that place very often, I mean, but I've only had ice cream a few times in my life. And uh, I'm standing there, and so I'm thinking, what do I do? Because there's all these choices. And, you know, if you're a campaigner personality, you have a lot of choices, a lot, but you're not, you don't always know which lane to go. So I, I desperately asked for help, and I, I got on Facebook, and I was like, quick. And I had all these people throwing me the same kind of ice cream. So I went there. Love handles. Right? Are you, am I right? Man, I lost my mind. <laughs> lost my mind. Good night. I, have, I don't even want to know how many calories are in that thing, man. But you know what? Like they say, sometimes if you eat a certain kind of ice cream, you're hooked the rest of your life. And I'm telling you. And after I ate it, someone was like, well, have you had this? I'm like, I don't even care. <laughs> I, don't even, I, don't even, I don't even care. I fell in love with the love handles. Anyway, so it was really good. We are in a series called The Bible Tells Me So, and uh, this, is, uh, this is a message I want to talk to you called Christ Our Refuge. And what we've been doing is that Jesus, exactly, Jesus, exactly, Jesus, uh, when he rose from the dead, he began to take people on a journey through the Old Testament and show them from the very first book all the way through how that his life was foretold, the birth, the ministry, the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and the soon coming again. He, taught, he took them all the way through. So we're, we're kind of doing that. And uh, they looked into what we call the Old Testament. But actually, as I've said before, it was the only testament. There wasn't a New Testament. There was just the Bible is what they would call the scriptures. And so Peter, James, John, and the Apostle Paul and others, when they told the story of Jesus and they said it's foretold like in Isaiah and like in the Psalms and like that's what they did. And they pointed to those what are called shadows of stuff that really happened, but God was pointing to someone that was coming. And Jesus walked out of the pages of the prophet and he's the word of God in flesh. And that's what we're talking about. So today I want to describe Jesus as our refuge. I want to talk about Jesus being our refuge. When you think about the word refuge, and you think about your life, you think about my life, I want to ask you a couple questions. When, when you think about the word refuge, does, uh, say, friends or family members, uh, people of your past, does anyone particular come to your mind, a human being? Uh, my kids uh, at different times growing up would always say, if, if, if life was a little hard, they'd say, Dad, let's go to Grandma's my mom's my mom always created an environment in 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 her home where you just felt like you could cozy up on a couch and take a nap it's my mom's vibe and i've had a few friends like that 
I asked my friend Miriam Webster what his definition of refuge was, and he said, well, Tim, I've been thinking about it, and I think it's like fortress, haven, hideaway, protection, resort, <coughs> sanctuary, shelter, security, anchor, cover. Have you ever had or needed anybody to cover for you? Escape. The Bible says that a friend loves at all times. And, uh, you know, the thing about my friends is they've always been better friends to me than I've ever been to them, I feel. And when I think of that all times, I really have slipped on the all times thing for my friends. But and then it says a brother or sister is born for adversity, like to be there for one another. And then it says there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And you know what? Um, a few years ago, I passed age 40. And I've come to find out that if you have a friend or a few friends that go through it with you, you're really a rich person. Right? You're really a rich person. And don't you go and die before you let them know that you value them. But none of us can claim to be a perfect friend or a perfect refuge. There's no human being that can be the infallible shelter for your storm. And neither can any church. I love our church. I would attend our church if I uh, was, wasn't the pastor. I, would, I wouldn't miss. I'd go to the 8 and the... And, 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 and we, might need, we might need some of you to go to the eight. We have a pretty good crowd in the eight, but it would be a little better if we had a little bit better crowd in the eight. And I know some of you uh, might be on the fence about the, uh, the eight or, or the ten, so let me push you over the fence. <laughs> and, I, and I'll tell you, I give away all the secret mysteries of the universe in the eight o'clock service. <laughs> And we have a special blend of brew that we only serve the eight o'clock crowd. You don't know what you're missing. What if, uh, what if we had a refuge that was 100% guarantee? What if there was a someone or a someplace when your heart hurt? And I don't mean a heart attack, but I mean like a your inner person. Somewhere you could go and find someone who always gets it, always understands. What if there was a place and a someone that existed that offered strength and comfort and a source to find new courage and feel compassion 100% of the time your whole life long? What do you do when you carry worry at such a level that the weight of it is too heavy to bear? Where do you turn when, not if, when? Where do you go when you need an answer desperately? You, you have to have guidance. Who do you turn to when you don't know where to turn? Who do you turn to that always gets it right? 
when you wonder, you know what the Bible says, and you know the Bible's true, but there's this thing going on inside of you that you have this question, what does God really think about me right now? How does he see me? How does he feel about what he sees in me? When you live in a deep shadow that's so dark you can't even find yourself, and you doubt, is there someone you can go to that will assure you that they're there? Who can help you when you're hurting deeply, deeply? Who can heal your wounds that you've caused yourself? When you find that you have made the wreckage, and you're standing in it, is there anyone that will stand in it with you? Who will still reach down and save you when you jumped when you, sh you were supposed to stand still and pick you back up again? Where do you find that kind of refuge? Match.com? TikTok? I think they should just call all social media ding-dong. <laughs> because if you're not one, you'll turn into one after being on there a while. God save us from selfiness. Save us from shallow community and plastic connection. You know, when you think about it, the people that started all this social media stuff, they were all nerds and deeply introverted, and now they've created a tool to lead us all out into the wilderness to, into a fake sense of union where texting has taken over actual talking to people. And posting has replaced presence. It's not good. The Old Testament gives us pictures of the heart of God. And he didn't text us. He tabernacled himself in our midst. The shadows of these stories in the Old Testament that really happened are pointing to someone who comes out of the shadows and is actually our refuge. The Old Testament is really cool. It's really cool. I want to talk to you about these cities that God established in the, in, the, in the country of Israel for a minute. They were called cities of refuge. And uh, let, let's go to the next slide. I want you to see this, this, this guy. Let me tell you what's going on here. He's running for his life. Have you ever had to run for your life literally? I, I was thinking about that, putting, putting this message together. I thought, I wonder if there's anybody that's, that's in the congregation that actually had to run for their life. Like they, they, they had to get out of a building that was on fire, or they had, to, they had to literally run for their life to save their life. I hope you've never had that, or never have to have that, and I hope I didn't trigger something that, that you wanted to forget that did happen. I've never had to run for my life like that, but as I told, I have to confess a, a sin, as a teenage kid, uh, my, parents, my parents and my sister went to the beach and I was old enough to stay home remember when you were old enough to stay home well I stayed home and I had this bright stupid idea to invite my friends over 
underage to use our liberties, not lawfully, and have a party at the house. And some of the things that we brought into my house that my parents never had in the house, we brought into the house. And my parents and family weren't supposed to be back for two days from then. And we were just having a time and making up plans. And we had a fridge filled with um, not Hawaiian punch. And, and one of my friends in the kitchen said to me, now wouldn't it just be crazy if your parents came home? And I said, there is absolutely no way that's going to happen. <laughs> and down the stairs he went to turn on Alice Cooper and get ready to rock and roll because we had some other people on their way over of the other, uh, of, the, of the female type. <laughs> and the next thing you know, I'm standing in the, uh, in the kitchen and I turn to my right and at an hour I think not, the Son of Man cometh. <laughs> and there is my dad standing in the... I ran to the top of the steps and my friends were downstairs and I went, run for your lives! <laughs> Did. And my friends, knowing that because we were all lunatics, they thought I was joking. And my one friend named Joey, and I'll leave his last name out, Joey, ha, 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 ha. And I'm like, no, man, run for your life. He's the right. And my dad's in there, and I, and I start th reaching for alibis. I mean, I'm reaching. I'm trying to think up, why did I do that? And I'm acting, putting on the Richie Cunningham face and pretending like I'm innocent. I didn't know. I'm, 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 and here comes my friend Joey up the steps singing an Alice Cooper song. Ain't got no friends because I'm reading the pen. And he looks at my dad. <laughs> my friends didn't come back to my house for a month. That's the only thing close to running for our lives that I experienced. But it's not this. You know what? These cities, look at this guy. Look at him, man. His parents caught him. Look. He is running. He's boot scooting. And so, they had these cities, six of them. If you buy, let's say you're out cutting wood with your friend, and you swing the axe back, and the axe head flies off, hits your friend in the head, and kills him accidentally. Well, if you killed somebody accidentally, you could flee to one of these six cities that were sp strategically located throughout the nation of Israel where everybody was at least 30 miles close enough to get to one of them. There was a priest that lived there. You could run there and explain your case so that the blood avenger, maybe a family member of the guy that was killed who didn't think you did it by accident but did it on purpose, they, they couldn't touch you because the, the priest would cut. Listen. While you were in the city of refuge, as long as the priest had you and was going through your case, you were safe. And if they determined that you were innocent, they made a declaration and it went out across. Nobody could touch, nobody could touch you once the priest made the decision. They were called cities of refuge. Cities of refuge. Now, We've never done that. 
Now, it made me think about uh, sin, sin. You know, you know, most people living in the world, I, I didn't go around thinking I sinned today. Oh, I sinned. Oh, no. And I definitely didn't go around living under this fear that because I was breaking the laws of God unknowingly, anything or anyone was locked in on me to, make, to, to continue to unfold this world of destruction and deception. As I said last week, that spell, I, I didn't think of life that way. And we know that when you sin, you don't fit. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but you don't die physically. Like, ooh, wouldn't that be wild? You see people dropping all over the place. Population control. But that's not what happens. But something's going on on the inside of people. And of course, we're all born in sin, so we're actually technically born spiritually dead. We don't have the capacity to perceive God in his world while we own our, we think we own the world, all of us, in some way. And therefore, unless we see light and hear truth, we don't know this. As a Christian, we become aware and we become woke, literally. We, we become alive and so our conscience is sensitized and we're wanting to walk in light. We're growing in grace. Growth tra- we're growing in grace. We're not perfect. Never will be perfect but we're growing and we're leaning toward Jesus and going with him and that's the, the, that's the, the model, ideal model of the Christian life. But we all stumble and we fall on our way but we're, we, we, we fall, we get up, we run to the Lord. We, we don't have to live under a canopy of condemnation and guilt. We have liberty and freedom and acceptance. We grow together and we grow together like that. But if you begin to look back, if you begin to turn back, if you get, you get wooed back and you begin to wander back where it's not an oops and it's not a slip up but it becomes a lifestyle, a way of life and you turn back or people turn back. And it's more than missing the mark, it's becoming a lifestyle. What happens is we come outside of the protective realm of this city of refuge and the covering of our high priest. And when that happens, sadly, sometimes you don't know it. But there is a war going on that's going to intensify. And the devil is strategic and he works with people differently. Some people, he comes and just demolishes their life. Other people, he just goes, you know, let's leave them alone. Let's just leave them alone. Let's just leave them alone. Hey, they're heading toward the falls, right. But they don't know they are. Let him. That's the war we're in. That's the war we're in. That's the spell. King David was, you know, we know the stories. He killed, the, he killed Goliath. He killed the giant. He was called a man after God's own heart, and he didn't call himself that. God called him that. God said, I have found a man after my heart. And he loved him, he anointed him, he raised him up. But after many days and after many battles and after many victories, one day when kings go out to battle, David stayed home and he began to wander. And then he began to wonder. And one night he was up on the roof of the castle and he was walking along and he looks and he sees a woman bathing. Sometimes you can't help the first look, but the second look... And so David began to look. And then he was tempted. 
And when you're the king and you're not accountable to anybody, you can do whatever you want. And so he did whatever he wanted. And he committed adultery with her. And then to cover it up, he conspired to have the woman's husband killed in battle. And David succeeded. And David succeeded. And in so he broke the law of God. And God had to break him. And the way God broke him, brought him back. Sometimes it's a good thing. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. And when David came to his senses, he prays a prayer in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me. He confesses his sins. And he says these interesting words. Now that you've thought about this city of refuge thing and the avenger of blood, you know what he says? He says, save me from blood guilt. Meaning, I don't want to be outside of your protection. I don't want my family outside of your protection. Save me from the avenger of blood. You know what he did? He knew that there was a place of refuge even after such actions. And there is. There is. You say, well, Pastor Tim, that's Old Testament. God doesn't work that way anymore. Jesus Christ, Son of God, is standing on a mountain and he's giving the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he brings up murder. And people say, well, I've never murdered anybody. But then he goes, let me define to you murder from God's point of view. You've heard it said to the ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders is going to be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. I wonder what court we're talking about here. I think we're talking about the spiritual realm court. Whoever says, the Greek is idiotes. What do you think that word means? Whoever, you fool as way as in English, but it's you idiotes. You will be subject to, listen, hellfire. We've been so conditioned to think that we can do whatever, and even at the end, of, we go over there and uh-oh, right? Nothing here, we can play, no, no. What Jesus is saying is, there is a, a portal of hell was opened in the garden. And when we step out into this kind of thing and we don't get it right, the avenger of blood has liberty to come for you. Are we in the New Testament? Red letters? So if you're going to church and you remember that your brother or sister has something, leave your gift, go be reconciled with your brother, then come, reach a settlement quickly. Quickly, quickly. Why? Because your adversary on your way huh? could hand you over to the judge, the judge to the officer, and you'd be thrown into prison. I tell you, you won't come out until you pay the last penalty. We can't pay for our sins, but we come in brokenness. We come in the get it rightness. We come and we, we, we sh and, and, and God, God, God stays the avenger's hands and we're under the blood. We're back in with the priest. Now, I don't know if you ever heard that before. 
We have a savior who is perfectly sinless and he understands our weaknesses and he doesn't want anybody to live under that kind of condemnation. Again, we think of condemnation as somewhere up the road. Condemnation is the spell that people who are breaking the laws of God, even ignorantly, are under even if they don't know it. That's why someone has to preach the gospel. And the gospel is a mixture of the good part and the... Why do we need a savior if we're all okay? Why do we need to be saved? And saved from what? If we're all... Like, like God wakes up every morning and he just, here's my song to the world. Billy Joel, don't go changing. Try to please me. I love you just the way you are. Is that how it is? That's what we're told some places. God loves us, but not just the way we are. And he hates sin, not because he's a hater, because sin is a malignant, cancerous killer. And he wants it out of us. And he wants it to have no power. And so we're told by some that God loves everybody just the way they are, whether we murder people with our words and our anger, whether we curse people with our mouth while we bless God on Sunday with our lips. Why would we be afraid of anything going on for breaking the laws of God since God just accepts us and we can live in it? Whatever your truth is, you're God. Be your own God, create your own truth. That's the serpent. That's the spell. And the serpent baits every one of us to break laws of love and faith so that we get out from under the shelter of the Most High God so he can come for us. And the reason people think this way is because they're under the spell. And it started in the garden, and they took the serpent at his word and acted on it, and it created a portal a portal that was never to be opened. God said, if you eat it, you'll die. And, and you open the portal. And that's a description of hell. When Jesus is talking about, if you don't do that, you're at hellfire. It's a, it's a spell that brings hell. It brings the activity of darkness. It makes a person actually to a point where they praise hell, raise hell, and then go there. But God loves the world and he wants to sa save from what? Save from what? What's he the savior of? He's the savior of this. This. Hell in the world now. Do you, do you see any hell in the world? Hell in the world now is the torment and the breakdown and the wreckage and the damage that comes to every person, through every person, who isn't in the light with the Spirit of God in their life, breaking and emancipating and, and maturing and strengthening and leading and guiding toward the glory of God. And that's why Jesus came. That's why he came. You and I, he came so that we could get back into that city of refuge. And we don't have to go geographically. We go by faith. We go in repentance and we come and we get placed in a place of freedom and liberty and safety for sons and daughters, for sinners and saints. We were meant to live in that place. And what's the city of refuge like? What is God's presence like? Grace and joy and love and forgiveness. You know, just like Congress. 
grace and joy and love and acceptance and peace existing at all times. So I built all that up because we're going to look at the New Testament book of Hebrews. And now that you know what the city of refuge is and you understand the priestly role of Jesus and the game of the serpent, this is great news. Hebrews chapter 6. So, that through two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie. Look at this. We who have run for our lives. We who have fled for refuge. Might have strong encouragement. To seize the hope set before us. Freely, God, Jesus has done it. He's holding out the hope. We who have this hope as an anchor, there's another Merriam-Webster word, for our lives that is safe and secure. You and I can go there. We can live there. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner. Because he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Aren't you glad we made you familiar with the city of refuge now? Aren't we glad we broke open what used to be only testament so you could understand that passage? This is what I've just been so enthralled with thinking about Jesus over the past couple years going through the gospel of Luke. Jesus of Nazareth lived in the world and knew that he was the only person that ever lived in the world and knew he was the only person, even his own family and in his world, that was missing one thing everybody else had. He did not possess a broken self. He did not have a sin nature with inclinations to deviate from the right way of God. And everybody else did. And instead of judging people for it and distancing himself, it moved him to get close and connect with every person. Hebrews 2 says it like this. This is why. Why did Jesus have to become a human being? This is why. He had to be a man and take hold of our humanity in every way. He had to. The Greek means he was moved to want to. It wasn't like, oh, I have to. This is our God. We've done this to him. And it moved him toward us. Amazing. He made us his brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, what are you saying to me? And he became our merciful and faithful king priest before God as the one who removed our sins to make us one with him. He suffered. He suffered and endured every test and temptation so that he can help us every time. We pass through the ordeals of life. I just put these hashtags together of people in the Gospels that had ordeals of life. And you and I have many of these ordeals. We'll all have the first one. We'll have a loved one that dies. And some of us have had loved ones that die. And we prayed for Jesus to show up. 
and we gathered around their bed and even men and women of faith told us it would happen and it didn't happen. Well, it didn't happen for Mary and Martha either. They sent it out to their friend Jesus who stayed with them. Where they lived was seven miles outside of the city of Jerusalem and every time he'd come to the Jerusalem, he would stay with them and they were tight. And they send word to him, your friend, your friend is sick. And Jesus didn't come. What? And then he died and he didn't come. And four days go by and he finally comes. And when he comes, he asks for Mary and Martha. Martha comes and Mary doesn't. Wonder why Mary didn't. I know why she didn't. She didn't want to say it, but inside, God had let her down. And you know what Jesus did? He didn't scold her. He called for her again. She came. And she said, if you'd have been here, and you know what it says? Jesus wept. He could have said, hey, watch this. Boom. Fixed it. He was going to fix it, but he wept. Two words in the New Testament that you can skip by to look for the miracle. This is the message in the miracle. Jesus wept. You know why he wept? Well, let's go to Mama and Nan. There's this woman who has her only son, and he's, di he's dying, and they're going in a funeral procession. Jesus is coming into their town. He sees it. He sees this mother. It probably triggers knowing what his mom's going to. He's going to do for this mama what his mom's not going to get. And he raises that boy up. He was moved with compassion for them. How about seeing Simon? He tells him, you're going to deny me three times, but listen, but I've prayed. See, with the message we hear is Simon denied Jesus. No, the message is Jesus prayed for him to get up. And when he looks at Simon, when the rooster crows, I think the look says, I'm still praying for you. Not, I told you so. Because his humanity, remember, he's the only, he's feeling us. How about the nameless lady caught in the act? I always find that interesting. They, they drag her to the, to the church, caught in the act of adultery. Where was the guy? Takes two to come. And they bring her, and they're judging her and all this. Jesus doesn't. He comes to her and he says, where are your accusers? Nobody. I don't either. Who is this man? How about this this good and rich kid. This young, rich kid. I want to follow you. I'll follow you. What do I have to do? What, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I just believe. He said, here, keep your commandments. I've done all that. He says, you're lacking one thing. All that you have, sell it, give it to the poor and come. That's what had him. And, he, and it says, in Mark's account, it says, and Jesus looked at him and loved him. Don't zoom past certain little things in the Bible so you can complete your devotional time. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Still told him the truth. How about the city on the brink? He's about to be crucified. He's sitting out on the hill. And it says he's weeping over the city that's about to kill him. He's weeping over them. He's weeping over the world right now. He's weeping over people. And he says, how I longed for you to come to me. How I longed for you to come to me. This is who he is. 
And then there's the thief on the cross. Jesus is on the cross six hours. The first three hours, the thief and the other thief, they're mocking him along with the mockers. But then when the sky grows dark, this, this one turns and he goes to the, he says to his friends, we're getting what we deserve, but this guy, he's done nothing wrong. And he says, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Jesus could have said, you had your chance. What did he say? Today. Today. You'll be with me. And how about heartache and merits his mother? Jesus is on the cross. Listen, listen, listen. He's on the cross. He's gone through all that. And he looks down and he says to John, who's the only disciple, the only disciple out of the 11 left that came to stand at the foot of the cross. And John's there. And Jesus looks at him and says, take care of my mother. Think of that. Who is this man? He's gone through all this and he said, take care of my mom. He's amazing. Jesus is amazing. I think he might be the most underrated figure in the church of today. Jesus. I want to go to the next slide. When he was on the cross, watch this. But Jesus was saying, Luke 23, Father, let, 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 before we go there, okay, we're experts, we know this, we've, we've grown up in church, some of us, right? Isaiah 52 says, 600 years before, whoever this person is, this he figure, this suffering servant, his image will be so disfigured that he will not look human. Why did Jesus not carry the cross through the city? Because he was beaten beyond recognition. He didn't look like a human being. Before the cross, Simon of Cyrene had to carry it for him. And when he gets there, they throw you down on the beam and they take these spikes that are as big as railroad spikes and not in his palms, but right here, both of them, drive those in. And you see the pictures they have his feet and the nail down through, that's not how it was. They would put your legs between the poles and drive the spikes from one ankle bone through the other into the wood. Both feet. While you're on the ground. And then they would lift the cross up and it would drop into a hole. And all of that weight. And when this is happening, he says, Father, Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You know why? They're under the spell. There's people all over this world walking around today that know that Jesus Christ died on the cross. Does it move them? It doesn't move you. When, look, while he said that, they the cast lots, and they started gambling for his robes. While, while, he's, while he's saying that, when you're under the spell... Look, when you're under the spell, you can have an adulterous heart and sit and hear the gospel in a church every week. When you're under a spell, you can preach like that. There's a war. And then, let's go to the next verse. It was now about the sixth hour. Six hours of that. Six hours to breathe. What killed you on the cross was you, suffer you, you suffocated. Because you could not breathe in the, you had to pull yourself up 
and put the weight on, 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 those, on those spikes and then drop again. And so quickly, the lack of oxygen caused your heart to explode. Six hours he's on the cross. And then he says this, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said that, he breathed this last. Now, if you don't know the Old Testament, you just go, wow, he prayed for forgiveness for us during that time, and then he trusted himself to God. That's moving. Let me tell you what even makes it even more. On that walk from Emmaus, and probably over the next 40 days, he goes, guys, there's a, there's a, there's a psalm that my great-great-great-grandfather David wrote. And in that psalm, let me tell you what he says in the spirit he says, incline your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. David is channeling the Messiah in his prayers on the cross. Okay. For you are my rock and my fortress. Your for your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. You will pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me, right? Didn't Judas do that? Conspire to turn him over? For you are my strength. And he says, for you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. What's Jesus doing on the cross? He, is, he, is, he has been nurtured in Nazareth in the scriptures from a young boy. And he's holding to those words on the cross. And the reason he said it was because he was the incarnation of the spirit in David that wrote it. Isn't that amazing? Next, he says, you have ransomed me, O Lord God of truth. Because of all my adversaries, I've become a reproach. What did Jesus feel like on the cross? He felt like he was under a reproach, especially to my neighbors. And an object of dread to my acquaintances, as I said, none of them showed up except John. He was an object of dread to them. Those who see me in the street flee from me, for I've heard the slander of many. Terror is on every side. What, what was Jesus thinking on the cross? He was thinking of God. He was thinking of all this. But you know what else? In his humanity, he was terrified. Wouldn't you be? So terrified in the garden the night before, knowing there was no way out but to walk through these words. This was him. It was set. This was his DNA to be this person. And even that in his humanity, he prays with drops of blood coming out of his being. If there is a way, take this cup from me. That's terror. This is him. This is him drinking the cup to the full. What's he doing on the cross? In 1984, I heard an old preacher at, in our chapel service at Southeastern University. It was right before Easter break, and he preached a message, what Jesus the carpenter was constructing on the cross. I'd love to preach it. I can remember every point. I can remember every point, but I'll just say this one. They were mocking him and, as if they were saying, what are you doing up there, carpenter? And he answers, I'm preparing a tomb to place your guilt forever. Come on now. Come on now. Yeah. Place your guilt forever. Your guilt. Your guilt. Your guilt. And I'm building a city of refuge. So the blood avenger. Do you know what, you know what the Israelites said? Let his blood be on us and on our children. And instead of this man, they handed over a murderer. 
when you're under the spell, in the name of Bible, you can kill the author. But he made a city of refuge for us. And it's wide open for whoever. It's wide open for every murderer, for every thief, for every what the world would call somebody a scum, a slanderer, a scuzzbag, whatever. For anybody and everybody that's just slipped and fallen. For anybody and everybody that's just made a complete wreck of their life. The gospel is whosoever will. Because he paid the ultimate total price for every person. There is no other price. There is no other price. You can't, you cannot put up good works. This is what is evil about saying you're good enough and you don't need the cross. You've never seen the cross, friend. You, you, people, you think of, you think, it's offensive that someone's telling you you don't need to repent and get under that cross because you have your list of goods you're you're a you're a you're a band parent there's a day coming when when no man that's ever lived will have an argument because they will behold the one they pierced But even for those who pierced him, even for those who drove it in, he was doing it for them. He was saying, Father, forgive them. Just like he forgave me. Just like he wants to forgive. Here, here, here's, here's God's invitation to the whole wide world. I honestly believe that there is a great altar call that God is creating all over this world right now. All over this world, all over this world, all over this world, the sky is red, friend. The sky is red. Now that we know we have Jesus, this great high priest, as Dustin said, man, how could you, over, how could you ever overpraise the Lord? How could we ever just get too into it? We're not even touching it. Let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a high priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he's so ready to give. Give, take the mercy, accept the help. That's who he is. We have a great high priest who is at the Father's right hand upholding this promise with the door wide open. Do you know when Jesus said it's finished, the Bible says that the temple curtain that separated man from the holy of holies was torn in two from top to bottom. That was something, man could not do that. That was a, mirac a miraculous invisible hand of God who tore that barrier so that everybody, not just priests, not by, anyone could go into the holy of holies. I couldn't walk right up to him the first time. As a 17 and a half year old kid in a church on a Sunday morning, 
God made me aware that I was lost. And it was a, it was a mixture of, of uh, I had deep guilt, but also felt this magnetic pull of mercy toward him that was in my life. And we were all standing. We were all standing. And the pastor there wanted people who, to receive Christ to come to the front. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to have a heart attack right now. I'm going to have a heart attack. And, 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 and some of my partying buddies were in the row behind me. And, and I felt this thing, I felt so convicted and convinced of how lost I was. I had the gift of, of being convinced at 17 years old, the whole world was as phony as a $3 bill and God showed me and I was miserable. I was miserable because everything was fake. Everything was fake. I hated everything and me the most. What is this thing all about? And God in his mercy opened my eyes to see it's all about Jesus, Tim. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. If the church isn't about Jesus, it's about nothing. Nothing. You'll never create an activity for a church that will excite me like being in the presence of Jesus at church. He's the only reason I'm here. I went to that altar. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know if you were supposed to do this. I didn't know what you're supposed to do. Here's what I did. Here's what I did, and I've been doing this. I did it this morning. I did it between the eight and the 10, right back here where the old communion table is. It was given to our church as a donation when my dad died. And I go back there and touch that thing. Some weeks I ball, ball my eyes out. And I say the same thing I said that morning. Jesus, help me. That's all you have to say. You don't have to quote a creed. You say, huh? You ever said it? He's heard every time. He's heard every single one. Help me. Would you stand, please? In a minute, I want to give you the opportunity to let him help you. Right where you are, please. I know we're moving around. Here comes the guys. Let, let, listen, and I don't think the Holy Ghost leaves the church when everybody sneezes. I don't think that happens. But with that said, if the enemy can con you into just one little and, and take this word that God's trying to put on. Listen, this is a moment God's created for this moment right now. For him to help you. For him to help you. For him to help you. Lord, I pray for every man, every woman, every young person, everyone, that, everyone that's been wandering up on the top of the building like David. Everybody that's gone through trauma and tragedy that the devil has said, see, I told you so. See, I told you so. All of these lies and all of these, these waves that crash and come against our minds and our consciences that try to lie about God and lie about us, I pray that you'd clear those storms. I say, peace be still. I rebuke the wind and the waves in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray now that a perfect calm would come and people would be able to hear the tender voice of their high priest, their covenant brother, the savior of the world who can go to the tombs of hell and drive thousands of demons out of a man and get him in his right mind asking, can I go with you, Jesus?
Do it in this room. Do it on live stream. Someone who will listen to this three months from now in a God moment driving through the hills of West Virginia. God touch their lives. Change them. Lift them out of the wreckage. As David said, I was in a horrible pit in deep despair, but God heard my cry and he lifted me up. Lift people up, O Lord, I pray. Lift up your brothers. Lift up your sisters. Lift up the broken. Lift up the condemned. Lift up those who are accused. Lift up those who are living in self-hate for the wreckage they've caused themselves. And set them free to live in the peace that you offer at no price. Because you paid it all and the devil can't do a thing about that it is finished glory to the lamb of god i'm going to open these altars for those of you who need a little help and a whole lot of help where you don't have to pray some theological prayer but this is an invitation for the jesus help me people this is an invitation this morning for the jesus help me People. And as you come, I want to wash the word of God over you right now. Listen, with your eyes closed and your heart saying, God, in a minute, I'm going to move my feet. I'm going to move my feet to the city of refuge. God, you are such a safe and powerful place to find refuge, said David. You're a proven help in time of trouble. You're more than enough and always available whenever I need you. So I will not fear even if every structure of support were to crumble away from my life. I will not fear even if the earth quakes and shakes, if mountains are cast into the sea, if the waves crash and the storm winds blow, it will not erode my faith in you. And I pause in your presence to consider these things. That there is a flowing river from your throne that sparkles with streams that bring joy and delight back into my heart. Your river flows right through the city of God most high. In the holy places of our souls where you dwell. You're in the midst of the city, secure and never shaken. And at daybreak you will come speedily to help me. When the nations are in uproar and the kingdoms are shaking, God will simply raise his voice and say, Be still and know that I am God. I am God of the angel armies. God who fights for you. Pause and consider these things. I bring both ruin and revival. Be still and realize that I am God. Here I stand. Pause in his presence and consider. These altars are open and you're not coming to a prayer. You're not coming to a preacher. You're not coming to join anything. You're just in the Jesus help me club right now. And you're going to move on it. And we're going to believe that he's going to take the scepter of the kingship. Melchizedek means king of righteousness and king of peace. And he holds the scepter and he points it at you and he's going to knight you, crown you with righteousness and peace. Come, come, come. Whosoever will, whosoever will all around this place. Great shalom, great shalom, great shalom, great mercy, great compassion, great forgiveness. Great restoration, great restoration.
over you and yours. Great deliverance over you and yours. In Jesus' name. Hey, this is Pastor Dustin, and thanks for listening. If you live in the Western Maryland area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services or weekday gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environment, please visit myloh.church.